the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is CNN yesterday, and as I read this, I'm guessing CNN's story doesn't say what CNN thinks it says, doesn't mean what CNN thinks it means, if I may borrow from the Princess Bride. In regard to investigating the Capitol Hill riots last week, quote, evidence uncovered so far, including weapons and tax tactics seen on surveillance videos, suggests a level of planning that has led investigators to believe the attack on the U.S. Capitol was not just a protest that spiraled out of control, a federal law enforcement official says. Among the evidence the FBI is examining are indications that some participants at the Trump rally at the Ellipse outside the White House left the event early, perhaps to retrieve items to be used in the assault on the Capitol, close quote. In other words... The investigation has now taken a turn in the belief that the rioters were not, in fact, inspired by Donald Trump's speech last week, but were planning the riot long before it. So, narrative change. Everyone who voted for Donald Trump is guilty. I give you Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon yesterday. Don Lemon said everyone who voted for Trump is on the side of the KKK. They are part of that crowd. Then everyone, I suppose, who voted for Joe Biden is in agreement and part of Kathy Griffin's crowd? Or the man who shot Steve Scalise because he's a supporter of Bernie Sanders? Everyone who voted for Bernie Sanders is in that shooter's crowd? Collective responsibility. This is, of course, today's as much as it is the traditional justification for group punishment, be it censorship or anything else. And by justification... I mean, there is no justification for group punishment and collective responsibility. Collective guilt has been roundly condemned as the ethic of genocide. We see the democratic equivalent of this in politics. As Professor Mark Bauerlein wrote, Republicans are now seen to be an aberration, an irrational upsurge, an eruption of atavism into the sane operations of American democracy. You don't compromise with such cretins. You don't debate them. You get rid of them. Democrats today are not satisfied with winning. They don't gaze across the aisle and see an outnumbered but legitimate opposition. Instead, they spy a group of deplorables who shouldn't even be in the room. Republicans are not to be defeated. They are to be eliminated, removed. This is what all of us need to come to grips with and understand. But if you follow the line of thinking of the left, it's not just Republicans. It's actually all of America. You've heard that isn't on the left. You've heard me speak of another professor, Ibram Kendi, endowed professor at Boston University. He's the one I mentioned whose group Jack Dorsey donated $10 million to, the professor who said you can't be a capitalist and an anti-racist. He's the same professor who said Amy Barrett was a white colonizer who, to quote, adopted black children to civilize the savage children 
in the superior ways of white people while using them as props in their lifelong pictures of denial while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity, close quote. In a better day and time, our national stomachs would have turned, reading that. It is such a wretched comment. Today it comes off as sophisticated and gets rewarded. Professor Kendi is the ideal modern embodiment of the neo-Marxist view that replaces the class struggle with the race struggle. Everything must be viewed via the lens of race, which is an abandonment, of course, of all previous moral grounding that everything should be rather viewed via the natural law of human nature. To put it bluntly, Amy Barrett thought she was adopting human children and giving them a better life. Professor Kendi sees her robbing black creations of some kind and converting them to something unnatural. Certainly the neo-Darwinism cannot be ignored here either, as a destiny is also outlined. Race determines, or should determine, destiny, according to Kendi. And to go back to what I mentioned earlier, this is also part and parcel of group or collective responsibility and guilt, not just of Republicans or conservatives, but all of America that doesn't buy into the left-wing narrative. He writes a major essay justifying this position in the current issue of the Atlantic Monthly. Denial is the heartbeat of America is the title, and the jumping-off point for him is all the statements about the riot on the Capitol last week and those who have said such things as, this is not who we are. Let me quote him from his piece, quote, To say that the attack on the U.S. Capitol is not who we are is to say that this is not part of us, not part of our politics, not part of our history. And to say that this is not part of America, American politics, and American history is a bald-faced denial. But the denial is normal. In the aftermath of catastrophes, when have Americans commonly admitted who we are? The heartbeat of America is denial, he continues. It is historic, this denial. American generation, every American generation denies. America is establishing the freest democracy in the world, said the white people who secured their freedom during the 1770s and 1780s. America is the greatest democracy on earth, said the property owners voting in the early 19th century. America is the beacon of democracy in world history, said the men who voted before the 1920s. America is the leading democracy in the world, said the non-incarcerated people who have voted throughout U.S. history in almost every state. America is the utmost democracy on the face of the earth, said the primarily older and better off and able-bodied people who were the likeliest to vote in the 21st century. America is the best democracy around, said the American people when it was harder for black and native and Latino people to vote in the 2020 election. At every point in the history of American tyranny, the honest recorders heard the sounds of denial, and today is no different, close quote. American tyranny. Understand what he is saying. The claims that America is establishing the freest democracy in the world, regardless of who may or may not have said such a thing in the 18th and 19th centuries, was and is indisputably true and was recognized as true not just by us but other countries as well. It was not a lie of any kind or any denial. It simply is and was a fact. Compared to every country in the world, at least, that it was and could be said by non-incarcerated people, as he puts it, makes me want to ask, do you not think criminals should be incarcerated? What's wrong with free people proclaiming, if not boasting, of freedom? And why would not that be a standard to distinguish between the criminally imprisoned versus the law-abiding who respect 
the laws. Perhaps the people who stormed the Capitol should be among the non-incarcerated? I simply don't understand his point. Or maybe I do. Only if you think America is fundamentally unjust can you think criminals should not be imprisoned here. And only if you collapse all mathematical and natural reasoning can you believe that what 250 people do in breaking a law in a country of 250 million adults, that represents 250 million adults who did not break the law. In other words, what Professor Kendi cannot understand is the difference between political majorities and political minorities, or even extremists. But to think that, say, a group of writers represents the whole of the country is to also say that anything can represent anything. Thus, how is it the writers can represent those who didn't riot and denounce the writers, but that he, Kendi, himself is not representative of the rest of the country? Why, in other words, does Kendi get to decide who speaks for whom? I denounce the writers. Kendi thinks the writers represent me. I also denounce Kendi. What makes Kendi think he doesn't rep represent me too under his odd reasoning? Because he doesn't, just as the writers don't. His arbitrary attachment of negative statements or actions to positive majorities is simply irrational. I suppose it is such irrationality that allows him to conflate the imprisoned with the free. No distinction matters except arbitrary ones he creates to fit his own narrative. He writes about several failed and attempted coups in America. We need not rehash that long history, but we should point out they failed precisely because the vast majority of the country and its leadership wanted no truck, affiliation, association, or countenance with or for those coups. If minority viewpoints represented majority viewpoints, then quite obviously Professor Kendi's views must represent all of our views. No? Of course not. But again, that can be the only implication of his collapsed understanding of history and politics and why he can indict all of America as, of course, systematically racist as much as it is systematically unjust. As he preaches and teaches for one of the most elite institutions in the world with a multi-million dollar endowment supporting his work, if you can call what he does actual work. If you think this is just some crazy and isolated example of an academic ivory tower elite, it is not. It is the same reasoning and philosophy that allows Andrew Cuomo to say America was never that great, and that gives every elected Democrat I know of the ability to say we are a systematically racist society. It is the same reason and philosophy that thinks it's okay, be it at the Smithsonian or the New York Times, to have projects on teaching whiteness and identifying attributes of whiteness being family formation, Christianity, and the belief that work should come before play as an emblem of whiteness. My own sense, 85% of Kenya is not white, though it is Christian. 80% of American blacks identify as Christians compared to 70% of whites. Think about that. And if the main doctrine of Christianity is to love one another regardless of race or anything else, and if more children can be raised in loving and intact families, I think we all agree we'd all have a lot less problems. Of course, all of these things, religion, family, and plain old common sense rooted in human nature is what Marxism attacks and goes after, is what professors like Ibram Kendi go after. And it informs too much thinking here in America, way too much. Chris Rufo 
over at the City Journal, writes about what he found in a third-grade class in Cupertino, California, this week. Headquarters of the Apple Corporation, Cupertino is. Here's what the eight-year-olds are getting there. Quote, The teacher explained that the students live in a dominant culture of white, middle-class, cisgender, educated, able-bodied Christian English speakers who, according to the lesson, created and maintained this culture in order to hold power and stay in power. Close quote. Eight-year-olds. They don't want you white. They don't want you Christian or speaking English. Fill that in with anything else. Black, Muslim, Spanish, Asian, Jewish, Chinese... And you know what we would call that? Racist. Or we used to. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. If you didn't get on yesterday, we had full lines. Uh, feel free to give us a call back today. We'll put you right up. Looking forward to talking to uh, a new guest at the top of the next hour, Jim Trusty. You often see him on the Fox News Channel, former federal prosecutor. I want to talk to him about the law of incitement. I am um, continually and have been for I, maybe maybe ever since college, uh, worried about the uh, conditions of freedom of political speech in this country and the use and defenses with which people um, bring their arguments to censor conservative speech or speech they don't like just happens always to be conservative. There's not much effort to censor liberal or left-wing speech, which is good. Because I do think political speech, as our founders believed, is and should be the most protected speech there is. But there's uh, quite a runaway train right now on the effort to shut down um, conservative speech. And for Congress, in fact, the House of Representatives, to use uh, incitement as the label and the concept in which to impeach a president when – the law of incitement was nowhere close to being breached by the president. I want to talk about some of that. In fact, all of that with Jim Trusty. Happy to talk about it with you too. Uh, let me put in a word for speaking of um, speaking of uh, impressive people. Let me let me let me put in a word for this documentary. Poor to CEO: The Incredible Journey of Herman Cain. It really is a wonderful film. It's uh, probably the most inspirational film I saw that came out. All last year. It's available now at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com, The Incredible Journey of Herman Cain. He was, of course, uh, someone who grew up dirt poor, uh, poorer than poor, he would say, only to work hard and live the American dream and end up being the CEO of a major American corporation, radio host, candidate for president, just wonderful human being, full of cheer and goodwill. You can get that documentary, Poor to CEO, The Herman Cain Story, at SalemNow.com. Use the promo code PHOENIX and save 20%. Um, yeah, right. I, I, there, there's a lot of talk about censorship, even, even, even from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who now wants to invoke something like a ministry of truth as if it's right out of 1984 – not just against conservatives, but against conservative journalists. 
once once this lid is opened, um, I'll tell you. Once this lid is opened, once these um, once these justifications are given uh, credence that you can shut down speech because you compare it to violence, speech is violence. Uh, you set a precedent, as Robert Jackson once said, that lies about like a loaded weapon ready for the hand of any authority that can bring forward a plausible claim of urgent need. That was uh, from a Robert Jackson dissent. The more I read from him, the more he is my fav- one of my favorite Supreme Court justices, or at least non-living Supreme Court justices. Uh, these precedents matter. Uh, you know what doesn't matter, it seems to me, is any level of consistency at all from the Democrats. So the news yesterday, and more so today, and I suppose it will be for the next uh, week, is the scenes of and the deployment of so many members of the National Guard in Washington, D.C., and how, of course, proud we are of members of the National Guard. The Democrats were not always so proud of their deployment in Washington, D.C., however, and I don't know if people's memory goes back so far as um, just about six months ago in June. Uh, It's not the first time in the past year the National Guard was deployed to Washington, D.C. Do people remember that? Donald Trump deployed them a year ago to protect – not a year ago, in June last summer to protect national monuments throughout the nation's capital because they were at risk of having happened to them what had happened to a lot of other national monuments, including the statue of Christopher Columbus in Baltimore that the police could no longer protect because the riots grew too dangerous for them. So when Donald Trump deployed the National Guard in Washington, D.C., Nancy Pelosi held a press conference and sent the president a letter. If you don't remember it, I'll read it to you. It's a little different what she wants and when she wants the National Guard. This is not whataboutism, something I have something to say about, too. I, this, this charge of whataboutism is, is a very interesting one. I have never made the case I've ever made on political uh, consistency with regard to whataboutism. It's not that. I'll tell you about that when we come back. And I'm happy to take your calls, of course. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 602508 Zero nine six zero is the number, as we, of course, are proud of our uh, men and women in uniform, and in this case, uh, getting a lot of attention, the National Guard being deployed in Washington, D.C. Um, part of this as a uh, show of um, uh, a show of, of, of force to dissuade any possible disruptions for the inauguration activities of next week, part of it to continue to protect anything uh, some of it I, I i believe is a signal that um that um the democrats are are portraying to show how serious the worries about violence in washington dc are and of course we denounce and uh 
pray that there are none and ask that there be none uh, to anyone. As Donald Trump said yesterday, anyone who engages in violence is not a supporter of mine. That's a good sentiment and a good statement. Um, Nancy Pelosi was not always so favorable towards the deployment of the National Guard in the nation's capital. Indeed, last summer, June, when Donald Trump did deploy the National Guard to protect monuments, federal monuments, she wrote him an open letter. It's still up on our website. Dear Mr. President, across the nation, Americans are peacefully protesting to demand an end to the pattern of racial injustice and police brutality that has killed so many innocent Americans, as we saw most recently in the murder of George Floyd. It's a lot to unpack in that, but you we can do that another time. She then continues, It is alarming that here in our nation's capital, the thousands who have turned out peacefully have been confronted with the deployment of various security officers from multiple jurisdictions. We have seen soldiers on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. We have witnessed Bureau of Prisons officers in Lafayette Square. We have seen National Park Service officers. Several states have deployed members of their National Guard to D.C. We are concerned. She puts this in bold. We are concerned about the increased militarization and lack of clarity that may increase chaos. This this is of a piece with her calling the federal troops who were brought in to protect the federal courthouse in Portland stormtroopers, which, of course, is a callback to Nazi Germany, comparing them to the soldiers of Nazi Germany. The idea that the increased militarization by the deployment of the National Guard will, quote, unquote, increase chaos. This is this is the Orwellian doublespeak that a lot of us have, I suppose, gotten used to. I just don't want us to forget it. I just don't want us to forget it. And helpfully, just about when we needed it most, uh, our friend Bill Vogley over at the Claremont Institute put out a piece in uh, the City Journal about whataboutism, called whataboutism. And perhaps you're familiar with this. Perhaps not. But there's any number of ways the left has been trying to silence conservatives, shut us up and shut them down outside of raw censorship, outside of gross, raw, tangible censorship. And one of them is the attempt to deprive us of any ability to argue a point by using comparison or by using what we would call a single standard rather than a double standard. We had a caller the other day who is making the point that when you refuse to denounce violence for one thing, it undermines the law such that it becomes very hard to have a consistent message as to why we are opposed to irrational violence for anything. This was our, of course, concern during the riots of last year. And pointing that out, simply pointing that out, is not in any way to say that because you didn't denounce and because you supported, we don't have an obligation to denounce and we don't have an obligation not to support violence when it comes from people purportedly wanting to affiliate with us. That's not what it's about. What it's about is saying, in a sense, 
we aren't the ones who have to apologize here for creating an ethos of lawlessness. We aren't the ones who have to apologize here for creating an atmosphere of anarchy. We aren't the ones who have been inconsistent. You have been. And that's the problem. You have created conditions that can lead to justifiable lawlessness and justifiable anarchy and justifiable violence by your criteria, not by ours. We've denounced it then. We denounce it now. Yours is the problem. I'll say more about that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, now is not the time to let your energy down or to let um, your health down. It is in time, indeed time to boost your immunity. Keep as strong as you can, as healthy as you can. Aside from exercising regularly, I do it with Balance of Nature. It's just my most favorite product ever. I really do love it. Three red pills and three green pills. They're capsules. In the morning, and I am good to go with tens of thousands of vital nutrients from 100% whole food plants, fruits, and vegetables. They lock into those vegetarian capsules using their unique cold press process. It's a fabulous product. You get kale, broccoli, garlic, spinach, carrots, zucchini, apples, bananas, blueberries, really healthy, potent stuff. And Balance of Nature has a great deal offering free shipping which I love, and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE for that great deal. Greg is in Phoenix. Hello, Greg. Greg, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, how are you? Good, Seth, thanks. You bet. You know, I, I, I just got in the car and turned on the radio and i just realized i i just need to talk to you i was i went to dc oh okay um and i was i left the, the ellipse early and walked down because i just wanted to be at the front you know to be just to see what's going on and and as as i was walking up you know there was a, a bunch of people at the front got it with megaphones you know saying push to the front go to the side you know like, what 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 for and so I was having conversations with people as we were going forward. What did, what is, and, and there were mostly at that point until I got right to the front line, they realized, you know, it looked like our guys. Um, and then I got up to the, to the very front and um, these people were, and I was having arguments. Don't push forward. Why? Why? And then this one kid runs past me yelling, pushing. And I said, Hey, don't be stupid. You know, and he turns around and yells at me, well, you, what are you what are you here for? And I said, you are too stupid to be one of us. And he reached down, picked up a pipe. It was like from a broken pop up tent or something and threw it. Bounced off a cop's head. And then he then I just and then I tossed him on the ground and then he ran. And I, you know, and and, and I'm not a big guy, but I was ticked. And then all of a sudden I realized I'm face to face with this clown with a gas mask, I mean, a full-blown gas mask in his bright new Trump stuff. And I was pointing these people out going, hey, you know, you you are not one of us. Because I hadn't seen a mask all in, in three days. And, and then they were in my face. 
And then I was trying to point them out. There was three on one side and two on the other. And I was trying to get people behind me to even connect with my eyes to point them out that, you know, this is not what we do. You know, this is what the left does. And they, they were on me. And then all of a sudden I realized where I was and it was, I, I left. And as I was leaving, then I'm hearing from people talking that McConnell said, um, it was the best, it was the most honest and fair election ever. And I'm like scratching my head going, what? I said, did you verify this? Did you hear it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a little while later, and this was all before Trump had started speaking. Before, before he started speaking or before he stopped speaking? Before he stopped. Uh-huh. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But I was walking away and everybody was walking out and everybody's going, or walking up and I'm going, this is no good. This is not going to end well. So you walk. And then I hear, I was walking away and then I hear Pence already, you know, already accepted all the electors. And I went, that just doesn't make any sense because Arizona had just started their two hours of deliberation and we needed Georgia, Pennsylvania, you know, Wisconsin, whatever. And so in my it, to me, it was so orchestrated. And and then I even climbed up. I'm 64 years old. I'm an, I'm an idiot. But I'm looking at this rate tower for the media tower, and I'm looking at it for about 15 minutes going, why are they – why didn't they put that behind the line? You know, why would they let people climb up? So I climbed up finally because I'm a monkey, and I – to take a picture of just the sea of people as far as you could see all the way – to the Washington Monument. And, you know, if we wanted to have taken over, and you won't hear the numbers, we were talking one, two, three million, it doesn't matter. But there were millions, as far as you could see. If we wanted to have taken over, as I said on, on Facebook, and I got cascaded, if we wanted to take over the Capitol, we could have in a minute. But then what were we going to do with it? Follow that genius Arizona antler boy that was arrested? I mean, you know, it just, none of it is... It was just orchestrated to stop the, not let the Arizona irregularities come to light or any others, in my opinion. And I just don't know where we go from here. But well, what's interesting to, uh, to me, Greg, is the stories that are now just being reported. I guess it started last night. Uh, I, I noticed it, and I mentioned it in my monologue from CNN. The FBI is now examining indications that participants at the rally left early um, to retrieve items uh, evidently to be used in what they're calling the assault or the riot, meaning it was planned. And what you testified to or what you're telling us sounds like there was there, there were people that had planned for, you know, the melee, um, that it was planned ahead of time. What's interesting to me about that is if if this pans out to be the case, if it turns out to be true that this was planned ahead of time, by a group of whoever, uh, whoever they are, uh, or whatever their motivations were, then um, then the case that Donald Trump incited them falls apart right quick, doesn't it? If the effort here is to pin the violence as being inspired or incited by his speech, how do you square that with the fact that they were already there before his speech planning the violence? You can't. You can't, which makes the impeachment all the more, what, nugatory, irrelevant? You know, 
it's it's Nancy Pelosi said of the first impeachment, he'll be impeached forever. It didn't have that much of a consequence, did it, as it turned out? Most people had forgotten it, even though it took place just about a year ago. Um, I This one won't be forgotten as easily because of the historical precedent they put their foot down on, right, by saying this is the only president in the history of the country to have been impeached twice for two different things and going out the door. Uh, so so this, this will not be, I don't think, as easily forgotten, nor will this incident be. But I want these investigations, obviously, to go forward because, you know, I, I, I have said for a few days now this idea that he can be held liable by the words he uttered for the violence of others is a doctrine unknown to First Amendment law in the United States. We're going to have a guest on in a few minutes to talk more about that, Jim Trusty. But if it turns out it was planned ahead of time, even so much more so the case that the House acted irrationally, if not perhaps immorally and unconstitutionally. I'm sure it was unconstitutionally. But, of course, the only thing that proves something is unconstitutional is, is a lawsuit. and There's nothing to sue on here. I think we're just going to have to take the, the ground that we've been given and occupy it and claim it to be with the further evidence that will come out and perhaps with a better argument about free speech. Welcome back to the uh, Seth Leapson Show. We're going to have uh, Attorney Jim Trusty on at the top of the next hour to talk about rules, the laws about First Amendment and incitement. I told you I wanted to mentioned something about my friend, our friend Bill Vogley's piece in City Journal on whataboutism. It's the charge that uh, you see being leveled at conservatives almost all the time now whenever we make an argument based on history or uh, an attempt to find a single standard. Paul Mirangoff summarizes, summarizes Vogley's piece at the power line saying the charge of whataboutism is an evasion. It's an attempt to duck the fact that Democrats are employing double standards. Accepting the evasion means accepting unprincipled discourse, which is what the left desires. They insist on an exemption from the normal rules of argument. Whataboutism is essentially a demand that similar situations and similarly situated people be treated the same. Thus, if not abused, it's an essential element of justice in law. For example, if a black plaintiff who was fired for being tardy twice for work points to a white co-worker who was tardy twice but not fired, his allegations make out a case of discrimination. His argument boils down to whataboutism, but it can't be dismissed, obviously, on that basis. If a dissenting, if a dissenting Supreme Court justice points to a ruling in a similar case that supports his position rather than the majority's, his argument can't be dismissed as whataboutism. The similar case has to be distinguished. Otherwise, the dissent has the better of the argument. It's possible to abuse whataboutism. The most obvious abuse occurs when the situations being compared aren't very similar. If, in connection with the riot, I ask, what about that peaceful protest? My argument can be dismissed, not because I'm engaging in whataboutism, but because I'm not comparing similar things. Peace versus violence, for example. Um, it's also an abuse of whataboutism to employ it as a defense of bad conduct. 
Fai argued that the storming of the Capitol building was okay because other rioters have stormed state houses or court buildings. I'm abusing whataboutism. And no one's making that argument. Um, not, no one is making that argument, not that I know of. We've condemned all storming of public buildings and riots in general, whether by extremists on the left or those who claim to be supporting Donald Trump. And the point that we are making is that Democrats who condemn only rioting by extremists on the right or who condemn the rioting much more harshly are simply unprincipled. When Democrats counter this point with charges of whataboutism, they effectively acknowledge their hypocrisy and lack of principle. But the principle matters because the rule of law matters. If the rule of law matters, then violence and anarchy is intolerable. If it only matters for one side, then you're going to see more of it from one side. We'll be right back. Jim Trustee.